0: Hi all, you've made your way back to my podcast, Love God and Your Neighbor, and I'm super glad you're here. I'm Laura Hutchinson, pastor of First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama, and this is not just my podcast, it's also the location of First Christian's pandemic worship service. First Christian Church is an open and affirming anti-racism, pro-reconciling church, which means simply that if you want to worship God, you're welcome to come just as you are. And so welcome, I'm also happy to welcome our director of music, Gerald Roberts, who is here with us on keyboard today. And I welcome Jason Wright, who is our worship leader. First Christian in Aniston strives to do its best to serve our community and the world in the name of Christ. Even when we're not gathering in person to worship, we are still doing the work of the body of Christ. We are still sharing the good news with the world. We are still caring for our members. We are still serving the least of these in our community. We are still participating in regional ministry. We are still participating in local outreach and service. And we do it all to shine a light of Christ into the world. And all of that is made possible by your prayers, by your participation, and by your faithful tithing. So if you feel so moved, please consider giving to God through us today. You can either go to our webpage, which you can find in the About This Episode section of your podcast, www.fccanniston.org. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click the Donate Now button. PayPal is the only functioning donation option for the time being. Otherwise, you can donate by sending a check to First Christian Church 1327 Layton Avenue, Anniston, Alabama, 36207. Now, I invite you to gather your elements for communion, bread or crackers, juice or wine, and to light a candle. Let us welcome in the light of Christ as we come to the Lord with adoration and love. I encourage you to pause this recording while you go and get what you need. Now, all of our hymns can be found in your Friday Reminders email. If you don't currently get that email, contact us on our website and ask us to add you to our list. And now let us sing our hymn of praise, Here I Am to Worship. Here we are on August 30th, the last Sunday before September. There is nothing we can do in this life without God. There is nothing good that we have that didn't come from God. And there is no problem too great that we can't take to God. Let us go into this new month with hearts filled with prayer. Let us say together the prayer Jesus taught us to say. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. forever and ever. Amen. And as we pray, why don't we sing together hymn number 305, Lord, Listen to Your Children Praying. comes from Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block for me. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Now, when I read this scripture, all I want to say is bless Peter's heart. Don't you? I mean, this poor guy is sitting there listening to his teacher, his mentor, his Messiah talk about being sentenced to death and killed. Well, and it upsets him greatly. So he says, Jesus, please don't talk like that. We don't ever want to lose you. I mean, it sounds to me like Peter is expressing great love for Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He says, get behind me, Satan. Actually, he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block for me to be exact. Can you imagine? What must Peter have felt in that moment? What must have been going through his mind? I'm guessing most of us would be confused at the very least and most likely deeply hurt. The thing is, though, what we have here is two people with quite different priorities. Peter's priorities were all things in the here and now. But Jesus's priorities were so much bigger than that. While Peter was focused on his feet, Jesus was looking to the horizon and beyond. And Jesus' goals were more urgent and more important than anything anyone in history had ever done before or would ever do again. Jesus was preparing to save creation, after all, and he was not relishing the idea of what he was going to have to do. I imagine that having Peter try and stop him from talking about it was like having a friend throw a boulder in front of your path as you were trying to climb a very steep hill. It's hard enough to accomplish such scary goals, but to do it with your closest supporters hanging on and pulling you back, no, it, it would be almost impossible. And so Jesus shut him down quickly. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. This scene echoes back to an earlier time in Matthew when someone else was trying to hold Jesus back, trying to derail him from his mission. In Matthew 4, Jesus went out into the wilderness to fast and pray. It was time for him to get his head in the game and become ready for the task to come. And Satan spent the whole time trying to derail him, tempting him in so many ways. And Jesus said to him then, get away from me, Satan. The difference between what Jesus said to Satan in the wilderness and what he said to Peter is this. He told Satan to go away. He told Peter to get behind him and to stop acting like Satan. Those two things might sound similar, but they are not. Because he wasn't telling Peter to get away from him. He was telling him to get with the program. Get behind me means follow me. Do what I do. Say what I say. Get with it. He wasn't telling Peter to leave him. He was telling him to stay with me. Follow me. But he was also saying that following him would not be easy. Lee Eklov of Vernon Hills, Illinois, tells this story. When I was a kid in the mid-50s, Parker Brothers came out with a game for church families like ours. It was called Going to Jerusalem. Your playing piece wasn't a top hat or Scotty Dog like in the worldly game of Monopoly. It was in Going to Jerusalem, you got to be a real disciple. You were represented by a little plastic man with a robe, a beard, some sandals, and a staff. In order to move across the board, you looked up answers to questions in the little black New Testament provided with the game. I remember that you always started in Bethlehem and you made stops at the Mount of Olives, Bethsaida, Capernaum, the stormy sea, Nazareth, and Bethany. If you rolled the dice well, you went all the way to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but you never got to the crucifixion Or resurrection. There were no demons or angry Pharisees. You only made your way through the nice stories. It was a safe adventure, perfectly suited for a Christian family on a Sunday afternoon walk with Jesus. It never occurred to me, he says, while leaning over the card table jiggling the dice in my hand that traveling with Jesus wasn't meant for plastic disciples who looked up verses in a little black Bible. If you're going to walk with Jesus as his disciple in this world, you may need to change your expectations. After all, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. The scripture says, then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? So what does it look like to truly get behind Jesus? Does it look like going to church some Sundays when it's convenient or when you feel okay? And then never thinking about Jesus again the rest of the week? Does it look like piety in front of others while ignoring the plight of the needy in your midst? Does it look like sidestepping opportunities to speak out against racism, sexism, ageism, homophobia, xenophobia, and so on? Does it look like hoarding your resources while others go hungry? Does it look like hiding your faith and beliefs when it's inconvenient to speak out about them? Does getting behind Jesus look easy or comfortable or safe? No, it does not. The other day I was talking with my dad about how difficult it is for me to be actively anti-racist. I'm a co-chair of the anti-racism team in the Christian church in Alabama, Northwest Florida. And I am deeply committed to the idea that all people deserve to be treated with equal love, honor, respect, and justice. Not just person to person, but in the system as well. My faith leads me into this fight, and I know that it's God's will that I be a part of this movement for justice. However, it goes against my nature to go against the status quo. Some of you might be surprised to hear that, but it's true. My natural tendency tells me to keep the peace, to keep people happy, to not make people uncomfortable, and to just sit back and leave it alone. But my conscience, my faith, my ethics, my moral code, all of which comes from who I believe Jesus has called me to be, tells me to speak up and to speak out whenever I see or hear an ism. So I do. And then the heated backlash that inevitably comes always takes my breath away and makes me want to run, and, to run and hide, always. And in the wake of that negative reaction that people have, I then want to chalk them up as hopeless, abandon them to their ignorance and hate and surrender my, surround myself only with people who agree with me. It's crazy. Why do I react that way? I mean, if God is going to call me to fight the good fight, Why doesn't he take away my fear of the negative reaction that comes with it? And if God calls me to love all the people the way Jesus does, that love, you know, that drove him to the cross in the first place, then why am I so quick to want to give up on people who harbor these racist, sexist, homophobic thoughts in their hearts? My natural tendency is to judge and hate them, not to be lovingly patient with them. Well, the thing is, I believe most of us have that desire to not rock the boat, to keep the peace, and to not stick our necks out too far. We also have that tendency to want to judge others for not being and thinking the way we do. I guess it's part of our instinct for self-preservation. My dad said it was like standing on the wall and blowing a horn. It's a dangerous place to be and even more dangerous to sound the alarm while you're up there. You become a very large target in your attempt to alert people of the present danger. Of course, we don't want to do it. Of course, we don't want to point out prejudicial or racist behavior. Of course, we don't want to be the only person in the room arguing for the love and acceptance of LGBTQ people. Of course, we don't want to argue women's equality to people who don't agree with us. Of course, we don't want to share the gospel with people who have nothing but contempt for Christianity. Of course we don't want to fight for a homeless shelter in our community when all of our neighbors will do anything in their power to stop it. Of course we don't. It sucks to be the only person on the beach standing against the tide trying to stop the surge from taking out the town. Especially when the town folk are arguing for you to get out of the way and to let it happen. But that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. It's dangerous to to stand behind Jesus as he makes his way to the cross. It's dangerous and sometimes scary and totally and utterly counterintuitive. And it's the right thing to do. When we become baptized in Christ, when we accept the Holy Spirit into our hearts and call ourselves followers of Jesus, it means we are agreeing to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. But we have to remember that Jesus's journey did not stop at the cross. His fight did not end with his suffering and death. His love for all people did not result in hopelessness. No, from the cross, we get resurrection, we get rebirth, we get new life, and we get to live in a kingdom where we are immersed in the love and grace of our God, who literally went to hell and back to make sure we could be there with him. And all he asks of us is to do the same for our brothers and sisters on earth. When we pick up our crosses and follow Jesus to Golgotha, we also follow Jesus to the most powerful victory since the creation. That cross we bear is heavy and might draw much danger into our path, but it will also act as the bridge to a life of true peace and joy and love, not just for us, but for every person we bring with us. When we choose to get behind Jesus and follow him, we are joining in his commitment, commitment to lead every person, every lost sheep, every lost soul into the promised land with us. We do it because we love Jesus. We do it because Jesus loves us. And we do it because we are called to stand on a wall and blow a horn, to tell everyone who God is and to show them in the to the way into everlasting life with him. Jesus said, Get behind me, pick up your cross, and follow me. Will you do it? Amen. As we reflect on God's message to us today, let's sing hymn number 515 Give me a clean heart. our cross and follow Jesus he always leads us back to the table every single week in worship we reenact the crucifixion by taking bread representing Jesus's body broken on the cross and by drinking from the cup representing Jesus's blood spilled when the soldiers pierced his hands his feet and his side we remember the suffering he endured so that we wouldn't have to suffer and we honor his death so that we won't ever have to die, not really. This is the cost of salvation. And so we remember and we repent and we give thanks for the grace that brought us here and we renew our commitment to lead others to the wholeness offered to every person breathing on this earth by our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. This is a table of freedom, yes. And it is a table of commitment as well. Come, eat, and drink, and give thanks for the blessing of such a sacrificial creator. On the night when the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, blessed it, and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, blessed it, and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Gracious Savior, we come to you in this meal asking you to forgive us of our weakness and sinfulness and also asking you to give us the fortitude and integrity to follow you. Give us the strength we need to stand up for what is right. Give us the peace of mind that comes when we are doing your will. Give us hearts filled with love, especially for those who fight against us. And fill us with a yearning to share your good news with everyone. Be with us and in us as we take this bread and drink of this cup. Now and for always. Amen. Come and eat. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Sing with us now hymn number 618 How Firm a Foundation. which you can find printed in the About This Episode segment of the podcast. By partaking in this meal, we remember that Christ was born. Christ Christ died. Christ was raised. Christ Christ will come come again. again. This is the mystery of our faith. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. From number 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Will you sing with me now our hymn of sending forth, hymn number 444, Let Us Now Depart in Thy Peace. Amen.
1: Uh uh-huh.